Amen, and you can be seated. I'm glad that y'all are here. Uh, you know, we have a lot of people at Disney World. It seems like Beta took half the county. And that's all right. They need to go make some memories and do that kind of thing. But we're glad that you are here today, um, a week off of school in the middle of October. Who would have ever thought that growing up? Not us, right? I know. We went, we went on Thanksgiving week. We went until that Wednesday. Y'all remember that? We went until Wednesday. I, I kind of like it, though. It's all right. It's, it's different, and we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, teachers are thankful. That's right. We have a week off next week, and so that's going to be nice. Um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 10 today. Romans chapter 10. Um, now, what we see here in Romans, you know, Paul has been making a case for why we are all sinful, how we're lawbreakers, how Jesus uh, came to uh, make it where we could have his righteousness. That means to be made right with God. Now, in chapter 10 and chapter 11, we're going to be in both today. And I would challenge you to go home and read both of these sometime this week and just read through um, just to make sure that I'm saying the right thing. I can be wrong. Yes, I can be wrong. The Scripture is always correct, but I can be wrong. And so go back and read through those things. Make sure you understand these things. See what the Lord would have uh, for you in the verses that we don't read today. But Paul in, in 10 and 11, really, he starts to talk about the relationship that God has with the Jewish nation. And then he also talks in, towards the end of 11 about the Gentiles, and so he's, but he's really talking to the, the Jews at first here saying, I want you to be saved. And really, he, he's stirred in his heart for the people of Israel. He, he's stirred in his heart for the Jewish nation, saying, I want them to become believers. I want them to put their faith in Christ. I, I, in fact, he says, earlier in Romans, he says, if I could just be accursed, or doomed for the nation of Israel. If, if the punishment, really, that of sin could be placed on me, this Christ-like attitude, he's had such a heart for them. Of course, we know that Paul can't have that because he's, he's nowhere, is he, you know, faithful to the law 100%. That was Jesus' role. But he was saying, I wish, I wish, it's my desire, it's my prayer it's my prayer that the nation of Israel follow Jesus so much so that I'm willing to put my life on the line. And he's not even just talking physically. He's even talking spiritually. I put it on the line for the salvation of Israel. He had a yearning, a longing for. And so he starts out and he sets out in Romans 10 just to give them the blueprint of salvation, saying this is how you were saved. This is how you become a follower of Christ. And then he moves into and talks to, towards the end, us as Gentiles. And you, would also, you could also say some believers, the other believers in the church, about our responsibility to the, to the lost people within the nation of Israel and then really the lost around the world. Let's look here in chapter 10, starting in verse 9. 
Say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. With your heart you believe and are made right with God. With your mouth you say what you believe, and so you are saved. Scripture says the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So here he is. He's saying, here's what it means to be saved. This is how you can go from death to life. This is how you can become a follower of Jesus. He said that we must place our faith in Jesus, that we are saved through faith in Jesus. And he used the word here, believe, but it's not just the word believe like we think of believe. Like, you know, we think of believe in, in, in sometimes strange terms, like, do you believe in Santa, do you believe in the Easter Bunny? And so it's this belief. Uh, it's not something that really changes how we live. Do you believe in this theory? It's mostly head knowledge is what we're talking about. But here, this word belief goes further than that. It's a belief, really what we would compare to faith, belief in your heart, this faith that you have. Do you have faith in God? He says, so in your heart, you must believe that he was raised from the dead or have faith that he was raised from the dead. And with your mouth, you must confess it. And so he's saying, we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, let's get that just right here at the very very beginning, foundation. This is something he's already said. He's echoing it again. And then he goes a little bit further. He says, not only do you have to have faith But you also have to voice that faith, that your faith is not a secret, or your faith cannot be a secret. It can't be. He says here that we have faith in our heart, or we believe in our heart, and that we must confess with our mouth. He said both of these things are necessary. And why is that? Well, let's let's go back to the 80s and 90s, the years of the guilt gospel. Y'all remember those years? Yeah, where people would try to guilt you into doing what uh, this Bible says or what they said, and they would throw all this guilt on you and finally kind of shame you into to conforming to what they wanted you to be. And, and they would try to get you to, to, to share the gospel, not because of how good God is and what He's done in your life, but because if you don't, you're a terrible believer. And here, though, it's... In Romans 10, it actually says if you don't have a faith that is public, that you're not a believer. That if your faith is so weak that you have to keep it secret, that's not a faith that's strong enough to save you because you don't have true faith in Jesus Christ. Now, for us, that, that means that we have to, you don't, it doesn't mean you have to go around and you know, everywhere you go, screaming, Jesus is Lord, even though that's true. But you have to live your life. You have to go into the world. You have to Amen. preach the gospel. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But you have to preach this gospel. You can't keep it secret. With your lifestyle and with your mouth, you must declare that Jesus is Lord. And if it's secret, because sometimes we want to say it's a very personal thing. It is a very personal thing because God is a very personal God, but it's not a secret thing. It's not a secret thing. If it's a secret thing, what you're saying is that I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of the gospel. And, and, and we see other places in Scripture says, if you are ashamed of the gospel 
And if you will not declare me before men, I will not declare you before the Father. And so it's this, this voice. This is, and it, where does it come from? Not, not out of guilt, not of shame, not out of pressing, but it comes from this changed heart that is so changed and so overwhelmed by the goodness of God that we can't help but speak about who He is. And then, he, and then here in verse 11, it, it finishes this way. And scripture says, the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. In other words, it says God will always be faithful. That God will always be faithful. That there's no one that places their faith in Jesus Christ that will be put to shame. Now when it says shame, we're not talking about earthly shame, we're talking about a spiritual shame. <clears throat> that at the end of our life, when we are before the uh, judgment seat, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, before the Bema seat, that you won't be put to shame because you have put on the rightness, righteousness, rightness of Jesus Christ. That he was right with God and we were not. And so he put that right standing on us. And so now we cannot be put to shame because Jesus can never be put to shame. And God can never go back on his promises because that's not who he is. And God will always love, pour out his grace and mercy. So God always is faithful. And anyone who puts, or anyone who believes in him or puts their faith in him will never be put to shame. Let's continue here. Romans 10 12 and 13. There is no difference between those who are Jews and those who are not. The same Lord is Lord of all. He richly blessed everyone who calls on Him. Scripture says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It says here that all people are saved through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Both are saved in the same way. Now, this seems pretty obvious here from Scripture, but there is some belief systems out there that believe that Jews are saved by different means, different ways, not through Jesus Christ. But that's not true because Paul just spent this entire book of Romans telling us that Jew and Gentile are condemned because we're lawbreakers and then we're redeemed through Jesus Christ. And so no matter what culture you come from, that the way to be saved is Jesus Christ. Now, this does not mean there's no difference between those who are Jews and those who are not. It does not mean that we need to all become the same culture. God honors the culture, and within that culture, God reveals himself, and he redeems the culture of the people. The old missionary uh, tactics would be, you would go into an area, you'd try to make them more, you know, like Western civilization, you'd try to make them, you know, speak the same languages, wear the same clothes. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. Try to make... But God's saying, he's not saying here that's what we should do. He's saying that really this is a a spiritual thing of salvation. In fact, Paul says that he became all things to all people so that by all means some will be saved. Within that culture, God redeems the culture and the beauty of that culture. And at the end times, it says that all nations and all tongues will come together and praise the Lord, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be the boring ones. 
<laughs> we'll be the boring ones. And then it goes further and says that God richly blesses everyone who calls on him. And how does he richly bless them? He saves them. Now, now let's get to this idea. Okay, there's an idea out there that says that God picked some to be saved and some he did not. Basically, he went through and said, you're going to be saved and you're not. And you are and you're not. and You are. And no matter what we do in our life, that God's already picked the ones that will be saved and the ones who will not through some kind of holy lottery almost, or holy decision. And what we see in Scripture is, is it's, more, it's more complicated, but more simple in the same time. It tells us that God knows what we're going to do. He doesn't make us do it. He knows what we're going to do. In fact, the whole idea of evil, like God does not create evil things. God does not tempt and he's not tempted, either one, right? And so, therefore, evilness or evil came into the world not by God's hand, but really by our hand. By our hand. By Adam and Eve. They chose to eat that fruit. If God made them do it, that would make God responsible for evil, and that would be against his character. Amen. And if he goes against his character, then he's not God. Right. So he's God. And so, therefore, it says here that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So don't think in your mind, there's no way I can ever be saved. That's not true. It tells us in Scripture that Jesus Christ, he was a gift given for the world. For the world. And some people would say, well, he only died for certain people, those people that God knew would be saved. That cheapens the blood of my Savior. His blood is value, valuable enough to pay for the sins of the whole world plus some, or really, not just some, a lot more. And, we, and I refuse to cheapen the value of the blood of Christ. Amen. And so, so here it says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means anyone from any culture and any tongue. Okay? It doesn't matter if you're Jewish doesn't matter if you're not. It doesn't matter if you've had that written law. It doesn't matter if you had a law, a law written on your heart. Everyone is saved through calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, so 10. It says, how can they call on Him unless they believe in Him? How can they believe in Him unless they hear about Him? How can they hear about him unless someone preaches to them. And how can anyone preach without being sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Amen. Man, right here, it really tells us that our whole purpose on earth is to be about the business of our Father. The same way that you catch Jesus, we see in the Scripture, you catch him in the temple, and his parents came to him and said, why did you come into the temple? And he said, you know I have to be about my Father's business. We have to be about our Father's business. Or if you think about last week, we have to be about our Daddy's business. And so he asked these questions. Paul asked the questions. He says, and... and and how can anyone preach without being sent? You're like, I don't know if I'm sent or not. Well, let's look at Matthew 28. He says, I send you into all the world to preach the gospel. Acts 1.8 says, you wait here, and when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. Not just here, but to the very ends of the earth. 
And he always included there, and I will be with you. Talking about how faithful he is. And so we have to be about our Father's business. We, when it goes back to the top, it echoes here the bottom saying we must confess a faith that, that, that claims and grabs our tongue so that we can witness about how good our Lord is. That the faith that we have will loosen our tongue and while loosening our tongue, we will share about the greatness of God. Like, like, we're not ashamed of it because He's done so many good things in our life. Like, we can't help but brag on Him because we realize who He is. We, we realize the things that He's given us. We realize the salvation that was given to us. And so it loosens our tongue so that we can share because we've been sent. And so therefore, if we've been sent, we're also meant to preach. Okay, if we're meant to preach, then those people can hear. If they hear, they can believe. Matthew 28, if you go back and look at it, it says, as, uh, um, as you go, or go into all the world, better translation is as you go or as you live. So sometimes we get in our mind that what we need to do as good Christians is we need to schedule a time to witness. Okay, on Friday at 6 o'clock, I'm going to go see my neighbor Share the gospel. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what we're always supposed to do. What we should do is as we live our life, here we are. We're in Walmart. We're walking down an aisle. We're going to get some chips. And I always use chips as an example. I must like them. Anyway, so you get to the chips, and there are the chips right there. And there's a lady right here. And the Holy Spirit says, tell them about Jesus. And you're like, but I'm buying chips. And the Lord's like, no, 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 I need you to tell. And so you turn around and be like, hey, do you know about who Jesus is? Have you ever heard the name Jesus? And all of a sudden, your mouth is loosened. How can she believe unless she hears? How can she hear unless you preach? How can you preach unless you've been sent, which you have been sent, and God's given you a testimony? And basically, your testimony may be, uh, once I was spiritually blind, once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was dead and God made me alive. And that would get somebody's attention. Like, you were really dead. Well, not physically dead, but I was spiritually dead. And that spiritual death caused me to do this and this and this. And God made me spiritually alive. And now I do this, this, and this. Right. Just as you live life or you're about to grab some milk and there's a man. And God says, all right, I need you to tell him that I love him. That he's on the wrong track. I love him. I want to save him. So now you become the mouthpiece of, of Christ. And you say, excuse me, sir. Do you know that God loves you? And he wants to save you. And the Holy Spirit just works in you as you live your life every day. And that will make us down here at the bottom in 15. It says, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. Man, that will, that's, that's good news for some of you. You'll have beautiful feet for the first time in your life. Man, I, some people hate feet, don't you? I, hate, I don't hate feet. I hate a lot of feet, but I don't hate all feet. But you know the feet I'm talking about. It's just, hmm. Like, and God's saying, spicy feet? Ooh. Anyway, so... <laughs> Uh, I've never heard it put that way. I like it. Yeah, I don't like the spicy feet. I like the the original recipe. Yeah. 
All right, so y'all got me off track. Anyway, so the feet that are beautiful are the feet that bring the good news, and the feet represent going, living. And so you have this beautiful, these beautiful feet as you bring the good news. And so really it leaves us this question here with all these questions. It, it just is the one that follows. How will we, individually and as a church, how will we become the feet that bring the good news? How will we have beautiful feet? How will you be seen as a person of beautiful feet, not physically but spiritually, as you carry the good news to those people around you? Maybe, maybe you're a coach. Maybe you're not a coach, like a you know, little league coach or peewee coach of any sport that you can think of, but you should be. You're like, I don't even have kids anymore. Okay. You can still be a coach, and you're out there coaching the kids, and before the game starts, you huddle them up and say, hey, this is, you know, you get out there and be competitive because God wants you to use your talents, uh, but we're going to pray, and you pray about it, and after the game, you're saying, okay, I just want you to understand, why do you have the ability to do this? It's because God especially created you to be this way, and he loves you, and he cares for you. Maybe that's it, or maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody needs to go into the, nursing homes and just go into that nursing home and share the love of God with people maybe that hadn't gotten visited in a very long time. But then you become the feet that bring the good news. You take the opportunity and you create the opportunity. See how that works? You, you take the opportunities God gives you and you create these opportunities God leads you. And as as a little league coach, as going into the nursing home, and as maybe you take on and lead a small group or Bible study at your work, you're creating opportunities through the power of God. So take those opportunities and create those opportunities. Uh, Romans 11, 11 through 16. Again, here's what I ask. The Israelites didn't trip and fall once and for all time, did they? Not at all. Because Israel sinned, the Gentiles can be saved. What will make Israel jealous of them? Israel's sin brought riches to the world. Their loss bring riches to the Gentiles. So then, what greater riches will come when all Israel turns to God? I'm talking to you who are not Jews. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. So I take pride in the work I do for God and others. I hope somehow to stir up my own people to want what you have. Perhaps I can save some of them. When they were not accepted, it became possible for the whole world to be brought back to God. So what will happen when they are accepted? It will be like life from death. The first handful of dough that is offered is holy. This makes all of the dough holy. If the root is holy... So were the branches. So Paul shows here that he's desperately wanting his people to follow Christ. Like he says, hey, I'm the apostle. I'm the preacher. I'm the one that God sent to the Gentiles, to, to us, sent to the Gentiles. And he says, I'm proud of that. He says, but I long for, I hope that in this ministry, my people are stirred, stirred to, to come and Follow Christ. He even makes a point. He says, hey, just know 
the, the, the Jewish or Israel, Israelite nation, they were chosen of God. They, God had given them the law. He'd given them the prophets. And those were the ones that should have accepted Christ because they should have recognized Him when He came because they had the prophets. They had the writings, but they didn't. And in that sin, it says, it opened the door for us, which is great. So, so first He came for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And so He came, but the Jews rejected Him, then gave us possibility as Gentiles to accept Him, to to. Make him our, or not make him, he already, to uh, us to submit to his lordship. That old philosophy in mind comes out. We used to say make him our lord and our boss, but we don't make him anything. Amen. My kid, one of my children uh, told me that one time. Because they were talking about what it was to be saved. And I said, you got to make him lord. You got to make him boss, king. They said, well, he already is. Words from a babe, right? right. Come on. So here we were out of the promise of God, outside the promises of God, but because the Jewish people rejected Jesus, now we have access to the promise of God. And in that, Paul's saying that God's using us to make the Jewish nation jealous so that they, too, will get what we have. He said, can you imagine when the Jewish nation comes and, and accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior? He said, this is, this is going to be an incredible day. It's going to be amazing. He even uses the, the, uh, the idea of offering the first fruits there. If you offer the first of the, the dough, it makes all of the dough holy. And so when the Jews are made holy, it makes us all holy, all the people set aside. So Paul desperately wanted his people to follow Christ. And he wanted to start a movement. You hear him? He goes, man, maybe, maybe, perhaps, with them being jealous, I can, I can save some of them that word I, God's going to use them, okay, to do it. Maybe I can. He wanted a movement to sweep through Israel and not a change in behavior because Israelites, the Jewish people, were very moral people. They were very moral because they were following the law, but they couldn't follow the law completely because they were lawbreakers, the same as we are. And so he wanted not to, them to be more moral. He wanted them to be changed. He didn't want to affect the outside. And so for us, this is important for us because sometimes we look around in our society and our culture and we think, well, we want people to change externally. And we focus on the external. And God says, if you're working and looking at the external, you're looking at all the wrong things. Amen. That, that our nation needs a change in heart. We need a change in who is boss. We need a change in where our power comes from. Amen. Our wisdom and Paul's saying, I'm, I'm hoping that you all, as I'm sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, and more and more of you get saved, that perhaps it will cause a movement in my nation, and they will get what you have, and it will change my nation. Which goes back to, how will you be the beautiful, the beautiful feet that bring the message? And then, 
in Romans 11, 17, and 18. And we're winding down. Some of the natural branches have been broken off. You are wild olive branches, but you have been joined to the tree with the other branches. Now you enjoy the life-giving sap of the olive tree root. So don't think you are better than the other branches. Remember, you don't give life to the root. The root gives life to you. Amen. Man. We have life in Jesus. Now, some of us, or some of you know that I dabble in the garden and I have a few fruit trees around and some muscadine vines out there. There's a few things I've learned. You can prune and you need to prune. You've got to prune every year. You need to prune your tree every year. And you can cut those branches off. And that branch will die, but the tree does not because it's still attached to the root. But if you kill the root, like if something digs it up, if you accidentally pour some poison on it, which I haven't done yet, if a fungus gets on it, destroys the roots, the whole tree dies. You can even take a tree and cut it down to the ground. And if the roots are still there, new trees will grow. Amen. New trees will grow. And so what, what we learn from that is that the root is paramount of highest importance when you're looking at trees. And he's talking about this olive tree here. Something else I, I, I found out, and I, I guess I kind of knew it, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. You know, you can graft trees. You can take one, like you can take this, this plum tree here that makes terrible plums, but the roots are great. And you can take this plum tree over here, the roots aren't as good, uh, but it makes really good plums and you can graft them and they grow together. And after a few years, you can hardly tell where the two were connected, where the two grew together. And God's saying this, you were a wild olive tree. And here's, here's what we know about wild trees in the wild. Usually they're not worth a lot. They're wild. They, they don't have the characteristics that you would like. You know, it's the difference between a wild banana. If you've ever seen a wild banana, it has these nuts all in it, and you can hardly get anything, and it's crunchy, and it's terrible. And one that's been cultivated, one that's been trained and one that's been bred so that it's like what we have now and hardly any seeds and it's sweet. It's just good. So you have this wild olive branch, these wild olives here. He said, we have been a wild branch. And if that wild branch is cut off from the tree, it starts to die. Unless it is connected to a root source. And God's saying, in our dying condition, we were attached to the life giver. And the longer we were attached, the more fruitful and the stronger the bond became. Jesus would say it later like this. He would say, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll have life. 
So here we are, these wild olive branches that have been placed onto the tree, the promises that were given to Israel. And now we don't get to take part in all of those promises, but we get to take part in a lot of those promises. Like we get salvation through Jesus Christ, the Messiah that came from the line of David and will sit on the throne of David. He will be our king too. That was first a promise to Israel. But we were grafted into that promise and now we get to share in that promise. So, so it's grafted in. And so it says right here that we have no reason to boast because if we were that wild olive branch not connected to the root, what we're going to eventually do is we're going to die, but that root gives us life. Amen. And he said, don't be mistaken. You don't give life to the root. The root gives life to you. And sometimes we get in our mind that I'm God's gift. Man, God's gift to the world. I'm God's gift to this certain area in the sense that I am, you know, God's lucky that I'm on his team. Because if I wasn't here, it wouldn't function as well. It wouldn't do as good. We start to look at ourselves and we start to look around and we start to say things. And in our mind, we start to think, man, I've got a great life because I've worked hard. And I have, I have a really awesome marriage because, I, you know, I, I put in the time. And the truth is, in all of life, if there's life in it, it came from the root. It came from the root. And when we were part of an old olive, wild olive tree, an old wild tree in, in the woods, in the forest, the fruit we produced wasn't any good. It wasn't, nobody wanted it. But then we've been placed into the life giver. And if you parallel this with Jesus again, He says, I prune you so that you will produce more fruit. More fruit. And therefore, if we can't brag, and if we can't give or say that we give life to ourselves or anybody else, our life comes from God the Father, our, our Abba, our Daddy. Then we have nowhere to brag. And if we have nowhere to brag, that only leads us one place, praise. So, so, for example, the ones that we just used, man, I have a great life because I've worked hard and I have enough money to live comfortably. The only reason you have it is because God gave you a brain. He gave you a body and then ultimately, he, hopefully, He saved you and He's made you understand that money is... Is, is not the God, that God is the gift giver, and what you have is a gift from God and meant to be shared with the world. Amen. And so you can't brag, and so if you can't brag in what you have, it should lead you to praise. And, and if you have a great marriage, that great marriage is not based on you and what you've done. Because left to ourselves, we destroy things. 
So if you have a great marriage, it's a gift from God. And if it's a gift from God and we can't brag in this, then it should lead us to praise. And ultimately, where Paul's writing here, he's talking about our salvation. If we can't claim our salvation, and he spent the whole book of Romans talking about we couldn't because we're lawless, we're lawbreakers, we have trans, uh, trespassed and transgressed against God. That when we look at our salvation, it shouldn't lead us to arrogance. It should lead us to humility, and it should lead us to praise. Sometimes we get in that place in our life where things become second hat, especially if you've grown up in, in a church. It's like you go through the motions. I mean, I mean I, I've been here. I've, I've gone through the motions. I've done this and done that just because it's what you're supposed to do. I, just going through the motions. It's what good believers do. Like even sometimes you catch yourself singing the songs, right? And there you are singing. And you're just singing the words. Like they're not even going through your mind. You're thinking about, or we're thinking about what we're going to eat, where we're going to go, what was going on at work that day. We're thinking about all those things. And we've taken God and His greatness from here to here, out of our mind. And it's God saying, in, in, in the center of your life, when everything, those things that you've ever done, ever want to do, when they're done, the only thing that will last is me. And so what I want you to do today is to think about how God has blessed you like any good thing you have in your life is from God any good thing your salvation your prayer life your health the relationships that you have if they are good relationships they are from God I want you to sit back and I want you to think about the blessings of God. I used to hate this song. You remember, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One? I used to hate that song. I didn't like the tune of it. I didn't like, really, the words. and It was too, too happy. <laughs> but really, like today, I want you to do that. And if you count your blessings and as you count all the good things in your life, if you go back to that time when Jesus saved you, you have to realize that none of those good things are by your own hand. They're all a gift of God. And if we can't brag, we have to praise. And that's why I believe Paul says you confess with your mouth. Because when you start to do that and you start to see where there's no good in thing in us, but any good thing that is in us is from God. Any good gift is from God. Any ability that we have has come from God. That all these things are gifts to us that we can't keep our mouth shut. That our faith has to be vocal. And if it's not, we haven't realized how big our God is. We haven't figured out how strong He is. And have a renewed praise today.
It's a shame that a lot of times in our life, in our lives, that God has to put us on our back before we look up to Him and see His greatness. Why can't we just look to, examine, have some reflection? It's the word would say meditation, not meditation like other cultures, but meditation on the word. Why can't we meditate on the word of God and see how big and strong and mighty he is? Church, stand please. Lord Father, I come to you now and I just pray that we, as We come to this time where we get to praise you. Let us praise you with our whole heart, with our mouths wide open. We get to sing to you, the king of the universe. And sometimes we're so preoccupied with the things of this world that we just sit there with our mouth closed, even during this corporate worship. Lord, open our mouths, loosen our tongues. Lord, Father, help us to see you as the king. God, you're the root that brings life to us. You could do everything without us, but you choose to use us. You choose to graft us in. You choose to bring us life. Lord, let us see that and let that be praise. God, thank you for your salvation. And Lord, give us a passion, the passion that Paul had for Israel. Give us a passion for our nation. Let us pray that there would be, I'm not even going to say a spiritual awakening, a, a, a place where people would go from death to life because they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah. That we wouldn't behave differently, but we would just... We would be different. And God, let us think about what it is to be the feet. These beautiful feet that brings the message of the gospel. God, all the good things you've done for us. Let us share those things with the people around us. Let us express those things with the people around us. Don't let us be shy and timid in this. Lord, Let us not be ashamed of the gospel, but let us be empowered by the gospel. Lord Father, give us us words that as we speak and as we share, it amazes even us because you are at work in us. Lord, give us opportunities to share the gospel. And Lord, help us to know what opportunities to create. So that we can share the gospel with a, with a world that desperately needs it. So as your word says, that anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yeah. Well, Father, thank you for allowing us to be part of your promise, your plan. The altars will be open, but I'm asking you just to sing praise. And some of you may have never sang before in your life, but Sing as loud, and it doesn't matter what your neighbors think. It's not for them anyway. Sing at the top of your lungs to our Jesus.